Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Just to share the Word of God that He's laid in my heart for tonight. And tonight we're going to continue with a discipleship series that we've been going on for, for the last two weeks. This is week number three, and our title for today, which I'm really excited about, is not so for Christian church. Um, Looks like God has a different plan. So I'm going to preach about show for Christian church tonight. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but while we wait, let me just open for us in prayer. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can be here, Lord. And you know, thank you that you, you bring us together, Lord. Thank you that it's fun to serve you, Lord. And it's great to be here, Lord. And I just come and pray, Father, for every heart to be expectant, Lord, for you to come and do something, Lord. And, you know, just to live continuously with, a, with an expectancy for you to move, Lord, because you are great, Lord, and able to do great things, Father. And you know, sometimes the, the only hindrance, Lord, is our lack of faith, Lord. And we cry out, Lord, help our faith, Lord. And uh, you know, help us, Lord, to just cry out for more of you, Lord. And, and that is my prayer for tonight as well, Lord. May my heart just awaken, Father, to the beauty of who you are, Lord. May we follow you, Lord, and continuously just have a desire to be with you, and to know you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, cool, guys. So let me just ask us a question be, before we begin. So we all sang the song, Jesus, you know, make me one out of me. Make me your vessel. Make me an offering. Make me what you want me to be. You know, and we all sang that. Maybe if someone didn't sing because you know what you were singing, you maybe, maybe you held back, back a bit. But I just want to ask us a question. Do you know what Jesus wants to make you? And do you know what you want Jesus to make you? And do those two things align? Is what Jesus wants to make you aligning with what you want Jesus to make you? And there's a, a call in the gospel where Jesus calls his first disciples and the call remains the same for us today. And it's found in Mark 1 verse 17, Matthew 4 verse 19. And it says, and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. You know, that is the inevitable outflow of, of discipleship, to become fishers of men. That is what Jesus wants to, to make us. And I'm going to speak a bit about that tonight. And our title, although it's not on the screen, is the mandate of a disciple, batteries included. You know, and I'm really excited that the batteries are included, you know, because many times we, we know what Jesus expects of us. You know, we know what the mandate is. We know what we are called to, but we struggle to get it to work. I don't know if you can relate, relate with me in that aspect. You know, just to, to maybe emphasize that point and to make that point, who knows what the mandate of a disciple is? Quickly raise your hand. You know, what we are called to do. It's the Great Commission, Matthew 28. No, we all know. So we know that is what we are called to do. We are called to go out, make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that Jesus commanded us. 
And there's a couple of phrases, you know, where that context finds itself. And it's when we... That, that question is addressed to disciples. You know, disciples should go and make disciples. So maybe to ask us another question tonight. Who is every Christian called to be a disciple or not? Who says yes? Every Christian is called to be a disciple. You know, all of us. You know, we read in the, the book of Acts that in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. They were always called disciples. And a while later, they named them Christians. And for some other reason, I don't know, maybe it sounded better or we liked it more. And we kept that and discipleship kind of faded away. And it's actually been a bit difficult for us. You know, I wish that, that it actually stayed because there comes this presumption that not all of us are called to be disciples. Some are just called to, to follow Jesus and, and to be with him. But that will inevitably lead to us being disciples. You know, we are all called to do this. So we know that we should go out and make disciples. We know that we all are disciples. Now another question, but for this you don't need to raise your hand. Who is actively busy pursuing that call? And how are you doing? Because we know we should do it. We know we are all called to do it. But are we doing it? And if we are doing it, what does the result look like? You know, and I'm not saying that we should focus on results, but... When Jesus sent out the disciples in the Gospels, it was very fruitful. It was very productive. When the early church went out to, to do the work of Jesus and fulfill the great commissions in the book of Acts, it was very fruitful. It was very productive. And it was a great success. And many times we, we say to ourselves, oh, it's okay if it's not that fruitful. But Jesus didn't send us on a mission to fail. You know, he didn't give us a call that, that would not work. It's supposed to work if the batteries are included. Then it will work. Then it will bear fruit. And I think a key that, that, and I've asked myself this question as well, you know, a key that we can find to why does it work and when doesn't it work is have you ever noticed that someone new to the faith, you know, that has recently come to meet Christ and experienced the love of Jesus, they're quite good at this. You know, they have a desire to go out and to tell people about Jesus and it tends to be very productive, very fruitful. You know, they actually lead people to Jesus. And I think mainly it's because they're not so caught up in the, in the you know, the, the hows and the whys and the winds. But they simply have a desire to follow and to be with Jesus. That is simply what it is about. And out of that place flows this desire to tell other peoples about Jesus. You know, and the more we... We become mature and the more we get tripped up by the hows and the whys, we tend to lose our focus a bit and the desire seems to dim down a bit. You know, it seems like the people with the desire just need some direction. You know, go, go there. Those new to the faith. And it seems like us that we, we have the direction, we know what to do. We've, we've been around church a long time, just don't, don't seem to have the desire to go out. You know, and maybe it's because we... We have been hurt by people. We have gone out. We have put our faith out. And it didn't work. But Jesus wants to come and renew and redeem that tonight. And he wants to come and equip us and say, this is how I expect you to do this. This is the keys that I've given you. These are the batteries that are included in the mission that I've given you. And if you put them in, that they will work. 
And we're going to go through Scripture in Matthew 28. Um, we, we all know the Scripture very well, so please plug in there. And I just really pray that God will open our minds to, to understand the Scripture a bit better, you know, because many times we just read past it and we miss the key things that God gives to us. So you can read with me on the screens. Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority and heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And if we can just stop there, that is the whole passage that we're going to go through tonight. And you know, as we read through that, you know, and Jesus said to them to go out and make disciples of all nations, what do you think the first thing was that the disciples did after this? And I'm, I'm leaving out the passage in Acts, but... But the first thing the disciples did after Jesus gave them, the, gave them the command to go out was they waited in a room and they prayed. And it seems a bit weird for them, for them to do that. You know, why would they do that? Why would, after, after Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, why would they go, wait in a room and pray? You know, and Jesus told them in Acts 1, and whenever we read a passage about the, the Great Commission, we should read Matthew 28, Mark 16, John 20, and Acts 1. Because all of those scriptures deal with the same topic. It's the same discussion that Jesus has with his disciples. Just before he ascends into heaven, Acts 1, speaks to his disciples. And he gives them a couple of keys you know, as to why they should wait and what they are going to do and what is going to empower them for the mission. And in verse 4, Jesus says to them, Do not depart. I know I just said, go and make disciples of all nations, but do not depart from Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Father. That is the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus says, I'm going to go away now to be with the Father, so there's going to be a time when my active presence is not with you. And I think Jesus is saying this with the last verse of chapter 20 in mind. It says there, And behold, I am with you always to the end. Of the age. You know, and what Jesus is saying there, and you know, just a, maybe a Bible reading tip. Whenever you see the word and in the English Bible, especially the ESV, it's linking parallel statements together, meaning that these things go together. You know, if, if you separate it, it won't make sense. And if it comes to something like this, if you separate it, it will not work. So Jesus is saying three things Go therefore, we should go out. And make disciples of all nations. So when we go, we should not simply go on vacation, although that's also okay. But the going should be to make disciples. Then the second and that Jesus gives is, And behold, I am with you, even to the end of the age. So I'm, I'm not saying that we should always go out to make disciples. People come to us, but we should be sent ones to go out into the world. So we should go, we should make disciples, and we should look for the presence of Jesus with us while we do that. And Jesus is saying two things here. When he's saying, and behold, I will be with you always. He's saying, 
I am more invested in this process than anyone else. And I will be invested in this process till the end of the age. Till we are with Jesus one day, he will be invested in this process if we do it his way and he will be there until we are with him in heaven. The second thing that Jesus is saying is that his presence is essential to fulfilling this calling. We cannot do it without him. That is why Jesus said to the disciples, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Wait until I'm present with you. Wait until the helper comes. You cannot do it on your own. Don't try and go and do it on your own. And the disciples understood this, so they went and they waited for Jesus. You know, and what we many times do when we quote the Great Commission is we use this last verse as a, as a kind of a by-the-way statement. You know, Jesus sent us to, to go and make disciples of all the nations, but when you get tired, when you get discouraged, don't worry. By the way, Jesus is with you. Remember, he's with you. But it's not, it's not a by-the-way statement. It's an essential thing for us to fulfill the commission. And why is that? Why is that? Why is the presence of Jesus so necessary for us to go and do this? Why, why can't we do it on our own? You know, why is it necessary for Jesus to be there? And let's look at the first call that Jesus gave his disciples. And this gives us a bit of a key. Matthew 4 verse 19. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you. Without Jesus present, there is no becoming fishers of men. He is the one that will make us fishers of men. Mark 3 verse 14. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach. He is the one that sends us out to preach. And you know, Following Jesus will inevitably flow out into the Great Commission. That is why the call of Jesus is simply, follow me. Everything in the Christian life begins and ends with following Jesus, simply a desire to know him and be with him. You know, and the, the reverse is also true. You know, when we state that following Jesus will inevitably lead to making disciples, if we are not making disciples eventually, we're not really following Jesus. And I know that that's a hard statement, but it is the truth. Jesus says, if you follow me, I will make you become fishers of men. And we tonight have no choice because we even sang, he can make us whatever he wants. <laughs> so if that happens, don't blame me. You sang the song. You had a choice. Um, yeah, it's going to happen. And you know, the reason for this is, is before we make disciples, we need to be disciples ourselves. And before we invite others to follow Jesus, we must follow him ourselves. And as we follow Jesus, there will inevitably come a day when we say to others, come follow us as we follow Jesus. Yeah, but it's built around the presence of Jesus in our lives. You know, and something has happened to you. Some people have tried to make disciples without being disciples themselves, you know, without following Jesus, without the presence of Jesus in their midst. The result being that at the end, no one follows Jesus. They're just making disciples of themselves. You know, there's a group of people together and they're doing a lot of stuff, but it, it doesn't look like Jesus. And it actually has been a great hindrance to fulfilling the Great Commission. And we'll get to that in a moment. The second thing is, 
You know, a lot of people think they follow Jesus, but the outflow is not there. You know, the Bible calls that faith without works. If you say you have faith, but you don't have works, that faith is dead, cannot save you. You know, and the response is not to go and try and do things. The response is to examine our faith. Are we really following Jesus? Are we really abiding in Him? And then a question that, that we can ask ourselves is, why is it so important for, for us to be with Jesus before He sends us out? What happens when we follow Him? What is He important to our lives that is so essential that we cannot go out without it? You know, what is he important to our lives? What does he want to establish before he sends us out to preach? Why is it necessary to be with him first? You know, and it's two things. And the one is a love for God and a love for people. And then another one is his authority. But let's first just examine. Jesus wants to come and establish obedience to the great commandment. If we can go to the next slide. This is what Jesus wants to come and build into our lives. Mark 12, verse 13 and 31. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and, you will, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You see, Jesus knows that he needs to come and establish in our hearts an obedience to the great commandment before he sends us out to fulfill the great commission. Because if we neglect the great commandment, it will be the greatest hindrance to the great commission. If we embrace the great commandment, it will be the greatest motivation to fulfill the great commission. If we neglect it, the greatest hindrance, if we embrace it, the greatest motivation. You know, and, and Jesus knows that when we spend time with him, inevitably, we will learn to love God more. And inevitably, that will flow out to a love for our neighbor. There's no loving God without loving our neighbor. You know, the Apostle John writes in 1 John 4 verse 7, and he says, let us love because love is from God. Whoever loves have been born of God and knows God. Whoever abides in love abides in God. There's no being with Jesus. There's no nearness to God and, and really knowing him as we follow him and not growing in love. You know, it, it cannot exist. It needs to go together. And it's when this love starts growing inside of us for God and for our brothers that it compels us to go out. It's also what compels us to obey God. The scripture says, by this we know that we love God if we obey his commands. So Jesus knows before he sends us out, he's going to establish the principle of love first in our hearts. You know, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, and it's one of my favorite scriptures, the love of Christ compels us. That is why we go out. That is what drives us to go out and share the gospel with the people out there. It's love. The scripture says, how can you see a brother in need or someone in need out there and not open your heart to him? How does the love of God abide in you? When we see someone is in need of salvation and they desperately need God, then love will compel us to go and share the good news of Jesus with those people. Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 9, and he says, This is the marks of a true Christian. Let love be genuine. That is the first thing he says. Let love be genuine. Above what is evil, hold fast to what is good. But it's all rooted in love. 
And that takes us to the first point tonight. In the presence of Jesus, we grow in love that validates and sustains the Great Commission. You know, and to give you guys my favorite example of, of how someone that spent time in, in the presence of Jesus grew in love, the Apostle John. You know, John and James, they, they were called the sons of thunder. You know, and there's this, you know, I can just imagine Jesus' expression when, when they told this to him. But in Luke 9, Jesus gets rejected by a, a, Samar- a Samaritan village when he went and preached the gospel there. And when they rejected Jesus, John and James comes to Jesus and they ask him, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to consume them? I'm like, what? Can you imagine that? Lord, should we call down fire from heaven? And Jesus is like, no, please don't do that. (laughs) You know, we have a message of love. So don't think that the people today, they have started the turn and burn, you know, gospel. John and James were way ahead of them. Turn or burn now. You don't even wait. You don't even have to wait for hell. We'll call down the fire. You know, and, and that guy that wanted to call down fire... Because people rejected Jesus, was later known as the Apostle of Love. What a change in the heart of someone. You know, no longer call down fire, but love one another. They say that there's stories of the early church fathers that when John was old of age, they carried him to church meetings, and the only thing that he could say was love one another. <laughs> really, it was the only thing that came out of, his, out of his mouth. He couldn't speak, but that was what came out, love one another. Not call the fire down, love. Love one another. That is how Jesus changes the heart. And Paul understood this, this concept as well. You know, we see he writes in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, Follow me as I follow Christ. But the basis of his invitation is the presence of Jesus. Follow me as I follow Christ. Behold, Christ is with me. He's here. I am following him. Not just follow me because of no no reason at all, but because of the presence of God. That is why I invite you to follow me. You see, because we don't invite people to change. You know, that is that is the a, a misconception that we sometimes have. You know, we, we should go and change people. No. That's why Jesus wants to establish this great command. We're not called to change our neighbor, we are called to love our neighbor. We were never called to change the people around us. We were always called to love them and show them to Jesus. We don't go, oh, look how I have changed. Come, come in, come you and change. No. It's like Paul said in Philippians 3 verse 8. I count all things as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because I've seen Jesus. Come, look at Jesus. I'm inviting you not to come and change, but to come and love and follow Jesus. That's the invitation I'm giving. He'll, he'll do the rest. But that is what I'm inviting you to, to come and follow Jesus. And the neglect of, of this has, has led to three things. You know, like I've said, the greatest hindrance to the Great Commission. Who have ever spoken to people that, that really got hurt by church or by Christians? You know, we see the hands there. And it's so difficult to say to them, you know, that Jesus loves them and he has come to save them because they've experienced, you know, these people, they say one thing, but they act a different way. 
You know, they, they proclaim a message of love, but they hate. They judge. They envy. They chat behind our backs. You know, we are supposed to be the greatest at, you know, resolving conflict, you know, in places where we go. You know, quick to forgive and to show love. But we're sometimes the worst at this. And because of a neglect of this love for God and a love for the people around us, we are becoming a hindrance to the work of the Great Commission. And I pray that none of us will be those people. The second thing that this has caused is a lot of people to feel burned out. They're tired. They can't do it anymore because Jesus is not with them doing the sending work. Wherever Jesus sends you, he will sustain you. But if it's not him that sends you out, if it's not Jesus that's making you, you're trying to do it out of your own strength, and you will get discouraged, you will burn out, and it will have little to no results. And the, the third thing that has happened is no going out because we've never truly learned to follow Jesus. You know, we want to jump a step. We want to focus on reaching people before we follow Jesus. And there was no love for God that turned to the love of man that compelled us to go out. And so we never went. So this is the first battery we find that Jesus gives us to fulfilling the Great Commission. Now let's look at the, the second battery. And it's also rooted in the presence of Jesus and it's twofold. If we can go to the next slide. It says there in verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. You see, without the authority that has been given to Jesus, there's no going therefore. There's no going out. It's supposed to be rooted in the authority of Jesus. And what's great is, because Jesus has all authority, and because he's with us, the Great Commission is possible. You see, we need both those things. Because many times we believe we have an all-powerful God, but he's not present. Sometimes we believe God is not present, but he's not able to do something. And sometimes we believe he is present and not able to do something. But God is both present and able. And that is our foundation which we built upon when we do the Great Commission. So I'm going to ask us a question. How does this statement, or how should this statement, change the way we approach discipleship and trying to fulfill the Great Commission? How should it change our, our outlook? Or maybe if this statement was not there, how would it change your outlook on discipleship? You know, it's something we realize as we follow Jesus. You know, as we follow Jesus, you know, that first point in being present with him, and we see the change that he brings in our lives, and we see the fulfillment that he brings in our lives, nowhere along us walking that road do we come to the conclusion that we can change people. Nowhere as we follow Jesus and we see him changing hearts do we conclude, okay, I can now change someone. You know, that doesn't happen. It's rooted in a trust that Jesus can change people because he has all authority in heaven and on earth. There's nothing that he can do. I can change people. Jesus can. So how does a trust in Jesus manifest in our walk as disciples? Two ways. We're going to look at the one first and then the second. But the first is discipleship rooted in prayer. Because I'm going to ask God because he's the one that has all authority. Secondly, when he sends me out, I go out with great boldness. Because I know that he's rooted in the authority of Jesus. 
So let's look at the first one. Devotion to prayer. This is 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 to 5. And just to give you guys the context, you know, Paul just wrote in the previous chapter, and he said in verse 15, the chapter is about Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And he writes in chapter 15 and says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. That's the context of the chapter. So Paul says, based upon that, the fact that Jesus came to save sinners, first of all then, this is what you should do first. I urge that supplication, prayer, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying that because Jesus says he has all authority and he desires for us to go out and do the work of the Great Commission and that should be rooted in that authority, pray. Ask God. That is how trust in the authority of God manifests as we make disciples. It is pray. You see, it says there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There is one person in the universe that can reconcile a sinful heart to the Father. That is Jesus. We are not able to do that. So when, before we go out and try and reach these people, let's ask that person, let's ask Jesus who is able to do that, to bring about change in the hearts as we go out and minister to people. For he is able to save, I am not. And you know, Paul also understood this again. Obviously, he's the guy that writes this. But he applies it in his own life as well. We read in Ephesians 3, verse 14 to 21, it's Paul praying for the Ephesians for spiritual strength. And he says, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, that he may grant you, according to the glorious of his riches, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his Spirit, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. In other words, I want you to be saved. I'm asking God that he would save you. He's the one that's able to grant you to have strength to receive Christ in your hearts by faith. I'm not able to do that. So I'm going to ask Jesus first. Now the whole of the discipleship process is in there. Further he says, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the love of God that you might be filled with all the fullness of Christ. Even, even the maturing of a disciple is rooted in prayer in the life of Paul. I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to ask God because I know that I'm not able. He is able to save. It takes us to the second point. When we pray, we are building our foundation to the Great Commission on the authority of Jesus. You see, our greatest labor in making disciples and in reaching the lost should be time spent in prayer. You know, we read in Colossians 4 verse 12, also one of my favorite scripture. And Paul says, Ephraim, who is one of you, is always struggling in prayer on your behalf, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. How beautiful is that? You know, someone says, what should I be to be a good small group leader? That is a good that's a good verse. I'm always struggling in prayer on your behalf. 
Always praying for you, knowing that Jesus is the one that is able to mature you. Jesus is the one that's able to sanctify you. Jesus is the one that's able to save you. I'm not. And I will continue to struggle for you in prayer. You know, if we try and make disciples without praying, it's like trying to sail without the wind. You know, and we try, we, we're training people to do that then as well, because inevitably they will imitate us. You know, if we go out and, and try and teach people to follow Jesus, and we're not doing it based on a life of prayer, we are teaching them that we are sitting in the sailboat, and all of the other stuff looks great and well. We teach them, this is how the sail should go. Make the, you know, tie the rope over here. This is the course we are going in. And now join with me as we blow into the sails. They're like, I've seen people do it in a different way that's a bit more productive, but okay. Let's blow. And you will become faint and you will pass out. Let me just say that to you. It won't work. But luckily you'll be in the same place. You won't be far from shore. If you want to go to the, to the hospital afterwards. You see, God invites us to seek Him for our sake. And then He asks us to seek Him for the sake of the world. In prayer. But first for us, Lord, I want to follow. I want to know you. I want to become like you. But Lord, also for my, for my family. The people that I work with. My neighbor. The people out there. A love for God. love for people. That will inevitably lead to all these things in our lives. Then the next question that I have was, you know, is, is so what, what does this mean? You know, does it mean that because we should only pray and when we go out, it's not built upon the authority of Jesus? You know, should we now only pray and never go out? And obviously the answer is no. It's exactly the opposite. You know, and Jesus also modeled this for us throughout the Gospels. Whenever you go and take the accounts of Jesus sending out the disciples from all of the Gospels and you put them together, you'll see that Jesus asked them to pray every time before they went. You know, God, it's actually you know, a bit of a trick. You go and you pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. You know, I'm asking that tonight as well. You know, when you go home, ask the Father to send out people to go and reach the world. Jesus knew that they would always be those people then. As they prayed, they went out. Every single time. But this will lead us to being sent out in His authority. You know, when we go out on our own, not out of a place of prayer, we're not going out in the authority of Jesus. And it says there in verse 19, Go, therefore, because he has all authority, because we have prayed and we have implored with him to reach the nations, and because he is present with us, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You know, and, and when we know that Jesus has all authority and that he is with us, it, it cultivates a great boldness in us. You know, great faith to go out and to reach the lost. You know, because we are no longer trusting in our own ability and strength. But we are putting our faith in the power of God. That is why it actually makes us excited to go out. Because we know that God is about to come and do something great. Because He has all authority and He's with us. Great things are about to happen. You know, we read in Zephaniah 3 verse 17. That the Lord your God is among you. He is mighty to save. Isn't that a great verse? 
God is present among you and he is mighty to save. You know, when I know that and I go out into the world, you know, you go with the expectation of oh, these people have no chance. Oh, they have no chance. Oh, God is coming for them. And he's going to get them. There's just no chance this, this, this guy will, will reject Jesus. He's going to grab all of him. It's going to be glorious. You know, and the, the disciples understood this principle, you know, of being sent from, from a place of authority. And uh, yes, this actually made me laugh quite a look. But let's look at the first assignment of the disciples. Not that, not that difficult. Matthew 10, verse 7 and 8. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. There you go. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a bit more difficult than inviting someone to church. <laughs> you know, I maybe thought along those lines that when Jesus sends them out the first time, it will go something like this. Go and tell your friends about me. Ask them to come and hear what I have to say. Maybe that's, you know, a great place to start. You know, because that's where we start normally. Invite someone to church. That's the first step of reaching out. Not for the disciples. They should go raise the dead. <laughs> cleanse lepers. Cast out demons. There they go. And, uh, you know, what's funny about this, and I think Matthew especially writes it like this, because Matthew, the guy that's writing the gospel... He got saved or asked to follow Jesus in chapter 9. This is a couple of weeks ago. Now this is the assignment he gets. You know, a bit, bit challenging, I must say. And uh, again, you know, the, the moment we read this, or the moment we read the Great Commission, and we start to doubt the outcome, our mind is automatically shifted away from trusting in the power of God, and we're again relying on our own strength. And when we see this and we think, no, it's not going to work. They, they're not going to respond or they won't come in any way. We've shifted away from the authority of Jesus. And we're leaning on our own power. And, and disciples went out with a great boldness. And the reason why is, it says there, you received without paying, give without pay. What did they receive? What did Jesus give to them that made them go out with such boldness? Look at that same chapter verse 1 and he called to him his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirit to cause them out to heal every disease and every affliction jesus gave them the authority and you know matthew's writing in this way and he's trying to illustrate to us that it's not your experience in church it's not how long you were saved you know you can be saved 50 years and attend church every week that doesn't say that you'll inevitably be great at this. You know, like Aubrey also shared at intercession, many times the enemy comes and tempts him and says, because you're not following Jesus hard enough or because you're not doing something hard enough, your prayers are not that effective. He wants us to work to gain that authority of Christ. And it doesn't work that way. You know, it's simply us saying to Jesus that we have a desire to follow him, to know him and to be with him. And that will inevitably be the outflow. You know, in Luke 10, Jesus sends out the 72. Just after he sent out the 12 with uh, the same mandate, they just didn't have to raise the dead. I think because the 12 already raised all of the dead in the area, maybe. 
You know, so there was no more dead people, so they didn't have to do that. Because the twelve, you know, they went ahead of them. But when they came back, it says there, you know, in, in, in Luke 10 verse 17, and they rejoiced gladly and they came back and said, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And then Jesus says to them in verse 19, I have given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But then he reminds them in verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Don't make that the focus, but rejoice in this, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Remember what it is about, following me, being with me for eternity, because that is what it means for your name to be written in the Lamb's book of life. We are going to be with him for eternity. That is our desire, just to know him and to be with him. And I actually want to read to us a quote of Ian Bounds um, in, in the book called Power through prayer. Because many times we see this, you know, we see that God gives this authority for those who follow him and we want to follow him for the authority. It doesn't work that way. It's just built upon a desire to know him and to be with him. Inevitably that authority will come. But Ian Bounds writes and he says, This authority is not the gift of genius. It is not found in the halls of learning. No eloquence can woo it. No industry can win it. It is the gift of God, the signet set to his own messenger. It is the heaven's knighthood given to the true and brave ones who have sought him through many an hour of tearful, wrestling prayer. Isn't that beautiful? God gives that authority to those that have spent much time in seeking him. That is the only desire, Lord, to to know you and to be with you. Everything in the Christian life flows from that. And we should examine our hearts if these things are not naturally flowing through our lives, if that is where we are. You know, Werner shared a beautiful story this morning about when Angus Buckham, they went to a stadium, filled the whole stadium, you know, preaches to thousands of people. And when he goes out, they're looking for him, and he spends an hour, uh, half an hour speaking to one security guard. Telling him about Jesus. And it reminded me of a story that a pastor in Stellenbosch told about Reinhard Bonke. They had a crusade in Nigeria where four million people pitched. Now imagine that. Four million people coming to hear the message that this man has. It's a haunted place. You just every now and again see wheelchairs being thrown in the air as God touches people. And hundreds of thousands of people come to salvation. Hundreds of thousands. And they walk back to their hotel room that evening. And uh, they see Reinhardt going and he starts to, to um, chat with this one guy. And they stand there together also having a conversation. And after a while they think to themselves, sure, this is you know, taking a lot of time. What is he busy saying to this guy? You know, what's going on here? We, we're tired, we want to get to the hotel room. And they go closer and they hear that he's busy preaching the same message he just preached to four million people to this one guy and see i said he could hear god saying to him at that moment i trust him with the millions because he cares for the one do you see how a love for god you know that initial thing that jesus wants to come instill into our hearts flows in a sustenance for the great commission 
out of a love for God and a love for people, we will go out and proclaim His glorious riches. That takes us to the last point. The presence and authority of Jesus gives us boldness to go and make disciples. Yeah, that is why every time when people get saved in the book of Acts, you know, it's written in Acts 2 that, and the Lord added to their number each day those who were being saved. They know they were doing the preaching, they were doing the laying on of hands, they were doing the praying, but it was God doing the work. They never said and we were adding people to our church each day. No, the Lord was adding to the church each day those who were being saved. You know, bound by love and built on the authority of Jesus, we will not only obey the Great Commission, but we will live for it. Oh, it will be something that gives us such great joy. You know, it would look as natural flowing from our, from our lives like a steak looks on a braai. You know, it just looks like it's meant to be there. <laughs> Does. And so as well, the, the commission flowing through our lives. Inevitably, it will come through our lives. You know, and as we spend time with God in prayer, and He births this love inside of us for Him and for people, we will see that people are in desperate need of God. We will see that people are in desperate need of healing. We will see this calamity in the world. And as we implore God, Lord, do something, send someone, we will hear His voice. You go. You pray. You tell them. You go and proclaim. And then when you hear that voice, go. Because Jesus is saying, all authority has been given to me. Go. I'm with you. I will do the work through you. Let's stand tonight and pray. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can just come and stand before you tonight, Lord, knowing, Lord, that you are present with us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that promise of, of your presence always being with us, Lord. Thank you, Father, that we know, Lord, that we are never alone, Lord. Thank you that we know that what you've called us to, Lord, you always enable us to do what you've called us to do, Lord. Never do we need to rely on our own strength, Lord. Never do we need to feel insignificant or insecure in what you've called us to do. Because we know that the one working through us is greater than all. The one working through us has all authority in heaven and on earth. And I really come and pray, Lord, that as we stand here tonight, Lord, that that would become a realization in hearts, Father. We've heard it, Father, we've seen it, Lord, and we've read it, Lord, but let us experience it, Lord. And I pray, Father, just that we might have a desire, Lord, for more of you, Father. To follow you, Lord, to be with you, to know you. And yes, Lord, I also just want to come and cut off the lie, Lord, and the temptation that's going to come from the enemy to, to do a lot of things to earn that authority. Or to seek Jesus to get that authority, Lord. And we just want to come and cleanse our hearts, Father. And say, even if we do not receive the authority to go out and do all those great things, it's enough for us to just be with you. That is what we desire. That is what we want. And yes, Father, as you are revealing certain things to, to hearts tonight, Father, I pray, Lord, just for, for faith to move in this place tonight, Lord. 